what we need, Jasper, is a signal, so that I know the microphone's on and they don't need to hear the kerfuffle that we always have at the beginning. Yes, that's it, that's the signal. Perfect. When it's time, do that, and I'll know when to start. Yes, I get it. That's the signal. Do it when it's time to start, not all the time, or it gets confusing. Stop it. Mm. You know, it's nice just to have this time before, so I can just prepare myself before launching into someone's brain and filling it with whatever. And they don't need to hear this. Ruins the magic. Me having a ciggy or talking to you. And we could be talking about anything. Or talking about them, as we often do. Could you imagine if they heard some of the things we said? All the things we've seen in their dirty minds. Set them spiraling into madness. Some professional. Why are you so agitated? Have you been drinking Dr. Pepper? Okay. Let's do this, shall we? Turn on the back phone. This perverted, anxious mess won't entertain itself. Right, on your signal. Here we go. Hello, you wonderful piece of shit. My name is Piano Teeth and I'm the voice inside your head. Your head, your head. Thank you for having me. I am a bleach-sodden, skinless storyteller in that I have no skin at all and drink a lot of bleach. So much bleach that it cracks my brain and throws me into a story which I would like to share with you. But before we go there, I must first sell you something because nothing can exist without something else trying to sell itself on top of it. So, prepare your ears for a quick dive into a commercial break. Are you engaged in a blood feud that wasn't your fault? Dealing with some troublesome neighbors that keep pillaging your cattle? Or need to avenge your murdered kin but don't know where to start? Then Viking mercenaries are here to help. Nothing is too big or too small for our dedicated team of berserkers who are ready to assist and guide you through the process from start to finish. At Viking Mercenaries, we put our customers first, in the shield wall, so you'll be able to charge into battle knowing that we've got your back. So whether you want to wage war on a neighbor or simply need some extra hands raiding a monastery, we'll be at your side every step of the way. Viking Mercenaries, ready to go to Valhalla for you. Right, that's that done. I personally can't stand mercenaries, or Vikings, but they gave me some cattle and a warship and I'm a corrupt soul, so obviously took it. Let's begin, shall we? This story is called The Magic Sheep. You're sat in the toilet of your favorite nightclub, the Wonky Dungeon, relishing in a come-up-poo when suddenly the cubicle doors are smashed in and Prince Harry falls to your knees, his head in your pants. He's wearing combat trousers and a string neon vest. He heaves himself up, two polo rings of powder adorning his nostrils. He grabs your face, laughing manically, looking deep into your eyes with his own dilated pupils, set within bloodshot rings of fire. What's going on? you ask, and quite rightly too. And he says, it begins with a wave in a dark sea, small at first, but it grows as it races to its end, foam-flecked fingers reaching out as it curls over, full of fury until it throws itself with a satisfied gasp onto the beach. The sand is gray and damp with drizzle, lying below a great cliff, jagged, wild and dark, speckled with bird shit and sparse grasses clinging to the rocks that burst from his face like gnarled, twisted teeth. 
On the top of this cliff, there stands an old stone church, its walls crumbling and the roof caving, surrounded by headstones bent and buckled by the wind, covered in moss-faded names of forgotten remains. A dusty path meanders its way down through damp grass, tangled hedgerows and ambivalently grazing sheep, to the bottom of the hill, where there sits a collection of houses and cobbled streets. A town that called itself rather uncreatively Clifton. Because it's below the cliff. I know. I know. A lovely place in summer, insist its insular inhabitants who kept themselves going through the bleak winters by looking forward to the sunshine, and when that came would settle for complaining about the heat and the few holidaying visitors who dared sit in their seat at the pub and ask for something that wasn't beer. And so they continued, satisfied with the cycle of dissatisfaction, for that was how it was and how it will be. Now, in this town of Clifton, lovely place in summer, there lived a tailor who, in keeping with the town's unimaginative tradition, was called Taylor. Yeah. Taylor the tailor was good at his work, and the well-to-do of Clifton would come to him for their dresses and suits. He would spend his days hunched over a bench, still as a post, while his fingers danced over fabrics with needles, scissors and string. Taylor the tailor had a wife, Mrs. Taylor, and the two lived above the shop where he worked, rarely leaving save to go to church, for they were deeply religious folk. Realising that they had little to say to each other and for the want of something to do, they decided to have a child. But to their sorrow, one would not come. They prayed every morning and every night, but still nothing came. For years they prayed and they prayed and they prayed, until eventually, following a kind word from the priest, they realised that they would have to have sex, and three thrusts and nine months later, Mrs. Taylor was full of baby. The birth itself was a messy, noisy affair, and Taylor the tailor had to leave his work on more than one occasion to request that Mrs. Taylor keep the noise down. It was getting quite ridiculous. Eventually, he heard an unfamiliar screeching cry that wasn't his wife's, and so Taylor the tailor guessed that the child had been born. It took all of his focus to finish the hem on the dress he was working on before taking himself upstairs to see the source of this racket. However, as soon as he held the fragile, beautiful bundle of noise in his arms, something shifted. What was this perfection? This little miracle that was opening his eyes and lungs to the world for the first time. He took his scissors and sliced through the umbilical cord. Judging by the penis and accompanying bullsack, Taylor the tailor guessed it was a boy and held his son up proudly. Here in his hands was his legacy. Bah, you should be called Darren, Taylor the tailor announced to the bawling mass. What do you think, Mrs. Taylor? He asked his wife, who lay silently in the bed. Mrs. Taylor? He clicked his fingers at her. Mrs. Taylor? There was no answer, and further inspection revealed there to be no heartbeat or breathing. Yeah, she was dead. Mrs. Taylor was dead, just like that. All the love and hope Taylor the Taylor had held in his heart turned to fear, fear for baby Darren's life. The world was far too dangerous. One minute you're breathing, giving birth for eight hours with no help or drugs, and the next you're dead. And she'd been laying in bed, the safest place you could possibly be. Heaven knew what would happen if the child ever went outside into the world full of danger and sin. Taylor the tailor vowed there and then that no harm would come to Darren. He would never let him out of sight and keep him inside, safe and under his care at all times. Mrs. Taylor was buried on a miserable Monday November morning 
by the old stone church on the cliff overlooking the sea. Not wanting to bother with the hassle of organising anything or talking to people, Taylor the tailor had kept it low-key, and so only he, baby Darren, and the vicar were in attendance. The service was such a dull and dismal affair that the vicar suggested they skip the last two hymns and go straight to the burial. Taylor the tailor went one further and suggested they end it there and leave the gravedigger to it. He'd got what he needed from the day and had a shirt to finish. After the funeral, Taylor the tailor returned to his shop. He placed a gurgling baby Darren in a box filled with straw in a corner of the room where he was able to keep half an eye on him and went back to work, hunched over his desk, needle and thread. As the years went by, Darren eventually outgrew his box of straw, and after the lad discovered the use of his legs and hands, Taylor the tailor realised that he would have to take further precautions to ensure his son didn't stray out into the big bad world. He went and bought a huge padlock, which he fixed to the latch on the door, then hung the key on a piece of string about his neck. Bah, that'll keep you safe, he said to Darren. And so Darren spent his childhood in the dark, dusty shop. When customers came knocking on the door for all of their tailoring needs, Darren would watch his father as he took the key from around his neck, unlocking that padlock. As the door opened, Darren would position himself to feel the gust of warm, cold or wet air on his face, savouring every moment and peering outside, for as long as he could, until the door would be shut and the padlock bolted with a clang. He would sit in silence as the customers came in, full of colour and conversation about the outside world. Darren would hear the talk of dinners, garden parties and weddings and other exotic terms that he had no knowledge of. Occasionally they would engage with him and he would nod and greet them politely before taking himself to the corner of the shop, out of the way, until they left, as his father had instructed, just in case one of them accidentally murdered him. Darren would ask questions about the outside world, and Taylor the tailor never felt the need to hide what he saw as the truth from the boy. What's a wedding, father? Bah, a pointless and unnecessary frivolity to sign a contract with a buffet. What's a party, father? Bah, evil gatherings of debauchery full of orgies and small talk. What's school, father? Bah, a wicked place full of paedophiles. They'll kill you. And obviously he would notice the women coming into the shop and ask... Where's mother, father? Bah, she's dead. You killed her when you were born. And so Darren would watch the world go by from the dusty shop window. People going about their day, baskets filled with bits and bobs, smiles on their faces, greeting each other with hellos, hugs and handshakes. A ball would come bouncing down the cobbles, followed by a gang of giggles, whoops and shrieks, as some children rushed past. Occasionally they would catch sight of him, watching them, and they would pause and point, beckoning for him to come and join. And time and time again, he would turn to his father and ask, Father, why can't I go outside? And Taylor the tailor would look up from his bench and say, Bah, the world is vicious and full of evil. Stay safe with me. We've just got to wait until we join your mother in heaven. And when Darren asked where heaven was, Taylor the tailor always pointed up. And so it was, week after week, month after month, year after year, for 16 years, Darren watched the world go by from his dusty window. He watched as the children, which before had ran down the street with a ball, now staggered back from some place called the pub, either fighting, snogging, singing, munching, or pissing in doorways. They were taller, wider and curvier, day by day, dressed for whatever the weather, soaking wet, sun-kissed, rosy-cheeked. He would hear snatches of stories about who did what, and who did who, and where it was done, and why that was or wasn't a bad thing. The world didn't look evil or full of sin. It looked fantastic and full of life. And Darren just watched it go by, or at least watched the bit of the street that he could see. 
through the dusty window in a stale room. And he would sigh as he looked at the giant padlock on the door, taunting him as his key swung from side to side on the string around his father's neck, who hunched over his bench, chewing his tobacco, repeating his mantra, Bah! We're just waiting to join your mother in heaven, son. We're just waiting to join your mother in heaven. However, one day in that dingy, dusty shop, might have been a Tuesday or a Wednesday, it doesn't really matter, so don't get hung up on details, for God's sakes, just shut up and listen. Taylor the tailor was hunched over his desk, sewing some threads, chewing his tobacco and saying, Bah, no need to go outside. We're just waiting to join your... (coughs) (coughs) All day he coughed and spluttered, speckling the dress he was making with daubs of phlegm and dashes of blood. He would surreptitiously wipe them away, hoping that Darren would not see. But Darren could see and suggested that he could go and get a doctor. Taylor the tailor shook his head and said, Wah, doctors know nothing. Most of them are charlatans and perverts. (coughs) As the days went by, his father became weaker and weaker. He would sit, shoulders slumped over his bench. No longer did his needle and thread dance, but instead it stuttered and stalled over the stitching as Taylor the tailor's lungs retched up the fluid that flooded through them. Until eventually, Taylor the tailor did something that he had never done before. He left work early. Unable to make anything without covering it in bodily fluid, his hands were shaking. He put away his needles and threads and scissors and without saying a word, left the shop and made his way slowly upstairs to bed. Darren couldn't believe what he had seen and listened to his father's retching above as he stood in disbelief downstairs. He wished he could help, but didn't know how, standing alone in that shadowy shop. But then he remembered his father's words and realized what he could do. All Taylor the tailor wanted was to be in heaven, with mother. And Darren, being the kind young man he was, could help him get there quicker. He would send his father to heaven, then everyone would be happy. But how to do it? Looking round the room, Darren grabbed a cushion which he reckoned would do the trick and made his way up the creaking stairs. As he approached his father's door, he heard Taylor the tailor's... (coughs) (coughs) Poor father, Darren thought. I'll bet he can't wait to get to heaven. Warmed by his own benevolence, Darren pushed open the door and stepped into the rank bedroom. It was disgusting. The air hung heavy. Layers of grime and dust streaked with finger marks smothered the surfaces. The cobwebs had cobwebs and they crisscrossed the room, bursting from the nooks and crannies. One hung like a tapestry in front of some heavy set curtains of indiscernible colour, left unopened for however many years. Slouching beneath the weight of dust, a slither of light burst through one of the gaps, bringing a spectral glow to the air, illuminating a double bed. The mattress had just about given up sagging down till it almost folded in on itself. The sheets were tattered and worn, and the duvet provided the canvas for such an impressive amount of stains and smears they resembled cave paintings. In the midst of this homage to grime there lay Taylor the tailor. Eyes closed, his ragged lungs heaved at the air which hung about him. Darren's feet stuck to the floor as he made his way over to the bed. He looked down at his father's sleeping, scowling face, the pillow hovering over it. Don't worry, Daddy. You'll be in heaven soon. Say hello to Mummy. And with that, he plunged the pillow down. 
but Teddy the tailor didn't seem to appreciate what was going on. He woke up and with muffled screams clawed at Darren's face. Don't worry, Daddy. It's me, Darren. Don't worry. Darren tried to soothe him as he pressed harder with the pillow. Just relax, Daddy. Relax. But Taylor the tailor wouldn't relax. He kicked and bucked and Darren, avoiding the flailing arms, was amazed at the life in the old man. You're meant to be ill, he said as he looked for another way. Spotting a pair of scissors on the bedside table, he grabbed hold of them and lifted the pillow up. Taylor the tailor sucked in as much air as his withered lungs could take, staring his son straight in the eye and opening his mouth to shout before... The scissors were plunged into his throat, pinning him to the bed. Blood poured from the mouth of Taylor the tailor, who looked into his son's eyes. Darren smiled and gave him a thumbs up before with a final gargling Taylor the tailor lay dead. Darren sat for a moment. I think I've done the right thing, he said to no one in particular. Have fun in heaven, Daddy. He took his father's hand. Say hello to Mummy. He then leaned over and kissed Taylor the tailor's forehead, avoiding the scissors which jutted out of his throat. Darren knew that he would need a priest to help send his father off to heaven. He was sure that a priest would be pleased at this kind deed, but for him to find a priest, he would have to leave the shop. He would have to go outside. He looked to the old key which hung around his father's blood-soaked neck and picked it up, gingerly between finger and thumb. It was tied with some old string and not wanting to reach around the back of Taylor the Tailor's dead head, Darren slid the scissors out from the old man's throat and cut through the string. He then saw the money pouch which hung from Taylor the Tailor's belt. Darren reckoned that the priest would want paying and so he took the pouch too. He held it, feeling the weight of the coins in his hand. He looked down at his blood-soaked trousers and shirt. If he was going to go outside, he would need some new threads. I'm in the right place then, aren't I? Huh? Huh? He joked with his father's corpse, who didn't reply, as he was very dead. Darren headed downstairs and scoured the railings in the shop for some new attire. He chose a lovely green three-piece and white shirt his father had made for someone, complete with some gorgeous black and white spats he found. Very nice, he said, checking himself in the mirror. He had the key, he had the cash, he had the clothes. It was time to go. Darren stood in front of the door that had stood between him and the world outside the window for so long. Nervously, he took the heavy padlock which hung on the latch. It shook in his hands as he brought the quivering key up to the lock. It missed its mark a couple of times before he successfully inserted it. Then very slowly, very gently, he began to turn it. Easy, easy, he breathed before, with a resounding click, the lock opened. He held it in his trembling hands not quite believing it to be true. And with a deep breath, he swung open the door. There it was, outside. It was nighttime. His nostrils were immediately filled with the smell of summer rain on stone. The wind gently stroked his cheek, coaxing him out, out onto the cobbles. He felt them, the smooth squares rounded by thousands of feet, now beneath his. 
He turned on the spot, taking it all in, the line of red brick houses with their different coloured doors, a warm glow from the windows, the black slate roofs, the smoking chimneys, the sky, the sky. It was black, proper black, with stars in it and everything, and there was the moon, the actual moon, all majestic as fuck. Darren turned to the window that he had observed all this through for years and smiled at the young boy who had stood there watching, wondering. I'm here, he said to the window, holding his arms wide for his reflection to see. He was here, and it was cold. Now, where to find a priest? Someone will know. He just had to ask them, and there was no rush. As far as he knew, heaven wasn't going anywhere. His father certainly wasn't. Best to enjoy himself for a bit. It's not every day you get to step outside for the very first time now, is it? Making his way down the street, he ran his fingers along the walls of the houses, enjoying the feeling of the rough brickwork on his skin. His palms began bleeding, but he didn't mind. It was good to feel. As he walked down the street, he began to hear a murmur in the distance. It was all coming from a building, and as he got closer, the murmur became a hubbub, and then a brouhaha as Darren stood on the street outside, bathed in the warm glow of the windows. Above him, a swinging sign told him that this place was called the Temple, and he looked in, entranced, through the frame of the open doorway. It was crowded with people, through a haze of smoke and body odour, huddled in groups deep in conversations that swelled around the room, punctuated by barks of laughter filled with words that were new to Darren, ending in uck and unt. He saw in one corner two men, clearly lovers, stood nose to nose, chest puffed out and eyes bulging. One called to the other, Come on then! Come on then! Clearly wanting a kiss, only to be told, You're not worth it, mate! And both were dragged away by their friends. Old men sat round a table, scowling with pipes in mouths, whilst next to them a younger group of men and women licked each other's faces and grabbed at crotches. A man plinked and plonked at an old piano in the corner. He growled out a song which seemed to be about a king, a courgette and a lady's breasts and something about the sea, but others would join in the chorus at the top of their lungs, banging on a high table that stood at the far end, behind which were shelves lined with tall bottles, filled with exciting colours. Stood before them was a round woman with frizzy hair and rosy cheeks, a cigarette clasped between painted lips and forearms as wide as Darren's thigh. She would pull on a lever, set in the table and a jet of golden liquid was pumped into large glass jars. It spiralled round and round the bottom till it was set upon the bar to stand, proud and perfect, with a frothy white crown. It was noisy, chaotic and glorious. It was life, and Darren wanted some. Winding his way through the writhing revellers, he approached a man who was slumped in a chair by the doorway, his near-empty glass dangling from a hand that rested on a bump of a belly, a tower of ash held between two fingers. Darren tapped him on the shoulder, jolting him awake. The man looked up, through bloodshot, panicked eyes. He'll have his money next week, I swear. Oh no, said Darren. I've got loads of money. I... I was wondering if you could tell me how this works. How what works? This, said Darren, gesturing to the room around him. It's a pub. Right, yeah, but what do I do in it? Drink, chat, go to the toilet. There's a quiz on Wednesday. Quiz? Look, would you mind showing me what to do? I've got money. All right, then. 
the bloodshot eyes gleamed with opportunity. Here's what you do, yeah? You go to the bar where that lady, Peggy, is over there, look, and you ask her for two beers, right? Two. Come back here and you give me one and you have the other one, right? Okay. And off Darren went, returning, beaming with two pints of beer. And after they clinked glasses, Darren found that the beer just slipped down his throat so quickly it barely touched the sides. Immediately, he felt an electric energy cursing through him. It made him want to dance and sing, share secrets with the world, do some face-licking, crotch-grabbing, make friends with the whole town, play the piano, write a book. He could do anything he wanted. And he wanted another beer. Round after round was bored for anyone that he bumped into along the way to the bar. Whatever they had, he had. Beer, wine, gin, whiskey, sherry, cider, vodka, rum, creme de menthe, a cup of tea. Why not? All went down the hatch in a swirling, spinning spiral of joy. And before long, everyone in the pub was this generous nutter with a sack of money's best friend. He loved it. The sheer, roaring, excited, giddy, head-banging stupidity of it all. And as he stood on the table, topless, spinning his shirt around his head, the pub roared, Darren! 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 Up at him. He threw his head back, screamed, Yes! Launching the shirt into the crowd. This was fantastic. This was fabulous. This was heaven. That's why he was here to get his father to heaven. Darren held up his hands, bringing the room to silence. Where can I find a priest? He asked. I need to send my father to heaven. Slightly disappointed that he hadn't bought them another drink, the whole of the pub pointed upwards, towards the old stone church on top of the cliff that loomed above Clifton. Lovely place in summer, you should really go. That way, they said as one. Darren bought a round of drinks for everyone to say thank you. He also got himself a bottle of whiskey for the journey, in case he got thirsty. With a wave to his newfound friends, he strode out of the pub and off to wherever it was they pointed. As Darren walked further and further into the cold, dark night, it wrapped him in its icy embrace. His body hunched and his skin turned blue, but through his chattering teeth, he smiled. It was good to feel. He unstopped the whiskey and slugged it down. The fire liquid threw itself down his throat and plunged into his belly, where it set about warming his body, straightening his spine and quieting his chattering teeth. This is amazing. Magic. Juice. Mine. He staggered off into the night, without a clue where he was going, just hoping that he would find the priest. However, and this is where it gets very interesting, you see, when the people of the pub pointed and said, That way! They were assuming that Darren was aware of the great looming landmark that gave the town of Clifton, which is apparently a lovely place in the summer. You should really go. Its name. But Darren had spent the only 16 years of his life pent up inside his father's shop. His knowledge of the town extended only to the street that he could see from the window and the pub that he'd just been to. Darren was clueless about many, many things, including local natural inclines and stone churches, and, I mean, just look at him now. A couple of hours later, and he's taken his trousers off. He's naked. Why is he naked? It's freezing, blundering about, one eye rolling into the back of his head. He's hammered, that's why. Bewildered, doesn't know where he is. Where am I? See? Really hammered. Poor boy. If only there was someone to stop him. Ah oh well, shall we see what happens? 
Darren swaggered, staggered, and stumbled his way up the hill. He tried to remain in as forward a direction as possible. However, the definition of forward was being hotly contested by his legs and his head. One wanted to go one way, the other desired another. Caught in the middle, Darren tried to please both parties and so tumbled and tripped his way upwards, zigzagging across while simultaneously walking in circles, all the while clinging onto the grass for dear life. Because you can't please everyone, Darren. You just can't. A thick mist had descended. His brain cracked as the world warped itself around him, and he plunged onward, his direction unknown, his destination a mystery. All he knew was that he was going up, 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 and with the defiant resilience of a drunk with a whiff of an after-party, he kept going. Inch by hammered inch, yard by plastered yard, he would get there, wherever it was. Where was he? He squinted through the dense fog. Where was anything right now? He heard a faint noise up ahead of him. He staggered closer, led by his ear which strained to make out... Could it be? Father? There it was again. His daddy, somewhere calling out to him. He ran in the direction of the voice, shouting through the mist. Father! 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 Suddenly, he was no longer running. He was falling. But before he'd realized he was falling, he had landed with one of those huge thunk sounds that knocks the breath out of your body and makes everyone around you go, ooh, and wrinkle their faces. But there was no one else there. It was just him laying on his back in the darkness. He'd hit his head and could barely keep his eyes open. I'm dying, he croaked out loud. This was it. This was death. He was going to be joining his parents in heaven. And just as his eyes were closing for the final time, a dark silhouette suddenly appeared above him. He couldn't make out what it was, but then he heard, Bah! Father, he thought to himself, before darkness took hold of him, and he was gone. The next day, he was woken up by an, Oi, 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 oi. Oi, 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 oi. Darren opened his eyes to a bright light to see a man stood over him, the sun bursting from behind him. The man in question was a grave digger, and this hadn't been the first time he'd found a naked man lying in a newly dug grave. He had checked to see if Darren was alive, maintaining his rule that if they were breathing, then he'd let them go. He was a necrophiliac, not a murderer. He watched, slightly disappointed as this one woke up. Was all Darren could manage. The full force of last night hit him hard. It felt like his skull was trying to beat his brain to death. His eyes threatened to stab him if he dared open them further, and his tongue was so dry that it scraped a layer from the roof of his mouth whenever he tried to swallow. And he was naked, covered in mud, with a man stood over him going, Oi! 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 But then he remembered. Last night, he had died. No wonder he felt awful. He got shakily to his feet, legs unsteady like a newborn foal. His head just reached the top of the grave and he looked all around him. Everything had completely changed. The sun was shining. The sky was blue. The grass green and inviting. Birds were singing joyfully, clustered around a piano which a squirrel merrily played. It was divine. Am I... am I in heaven? 
Darren asked the gravedigger, who laughed and said, Yes, mate, you're in heaven. That's where God lives. And he pointed at the old stone church. And there, all angels. He pointed at some sheep, gazing in the field. Now fuck off, I've got a funeral at two. Darren heaved himself up and out of the grave and went over to the sheep, believing well and truly that they were indeed angels. He ambled over, as one of them had caught his eye. There was something about it, something familiar. The sheep looked up at Darren from its grazing and said, Bah! Father? Darren stood, open-mouthed. The sheep turned and began walking off, down the hill where it stopped over a particularly long patch of grass which it began chewing. Darren couldn't believe it. In the patch of grass was his whiskey. His father had led him back to his bottle. You're an angel, Daddy, he shouted, hugging his father. They sat together, Darren drinking his whiskey whilst his father chewed his grass, and they talked for hours about so many things. Well, Darren did most of the talking, and occasionally Taylor the Taylor would interject with a bah. They'd never spent so much quality time together, and Darren had never felt so close to his daddy. Tears welled up in his eyes. This was heaven. Everything he needed was here, and he had never felt so complete. Eventually, Angel Taylor the Taylor left his grassy clump and began plodding down the hill. Darren followed him, staying close as they descended through the clouds. Where are we going, father? But his father just said, Bah! and continued walking down. As they left the cloud, Darren saw the town of Clifton, which apparently is a lovely place in summer, you should really go, sprawled out below him, and everything made sense. I understand now, father. We must go back and show the others how to get to heaven as well. Taylor the tailor didn't answer, and carried on down the hill. Darren smiled to himself. He'd always admired his father's determination. As they got to the town's edge, Taylor the tailor approached some washing hung out to dry. Darren watched as his father took one of the white sheets in his mouth and began tugging on it. What are you doing, father? he asked. Then he realized. He was naked. He couldn't tell the townsfolk all about heaven looking like this. They'd think he was mad. Very wise, father, said Darren, as he took the sheet from the line and tied it round himself to make a robe. Taylor the tailor then sat down in the grass. You're tired, father. I understand. Don't worry. I'll carry you the rest of the way. And Darren picked his father up off the floor and set off to the pub. As he walked through the door, robed, sheep in one hand and whisk in the other, he was met with an almighty cheer. Way! It's Darren! And he's got a sheep! Legend! Darren climbed atop the table and set his father down next to him. The sheep, frozen by fear, looked around the room, warily. The townsfolk looked up at Darren, intrigued. Good people of the tavern, Darren called to the huddled drinkers. I come to you today with fantastic news. You've bought a stripper, someone called out, and a giggle erupted amongst the room. Silence! Darren boomed, and everyone fell into a stunned quiet. There was something different about this young man who'd got wasted with them last night. A new aura, a fierce look in his eye. Darren let the air breathe for a few moments before continuing. Last night, after I left this place, I died. But when I woke up, I found myself in a place above the clouds where the grass is green, where birds sing and squirrels play the piano. Friends, I woke up in heaven! The crowd murmured excitedly. Darren pointed at the sheep next to him. And whilst I was there, 
I found my father, who is now an angel. That's a sheep, a man called out from the crowd. No, said Darren. He's an angel. Tell them, father. Everyone looked at the sheep who said, Bah! You see, said Darren, he is an angel. The crowd gasped in amazement. Not only was there an angel before them, but Darren could speak to it. Idiot, someone said to the doubting man, who shrunk into the corner, feeling very stupid indeed. Ask my father anything about heaven, and he will answer. Uh, what's the weather like? Someone asked. Everyone looked at the sheep, who, after a pause, said, Ma. They then looked at Darren, who, after a pause, said, He says it's good. And when I woke up there this morning, the sun was shining. In heaven, the weather is perfect. The pub cheered. Is, uh, is there drink in heaven? Someone else called out. Everyone looked at the sheep, who, after a pause, said, Ma. They then looked at Darren, who, after a pause, said, He said yes. There is drink in heaven, and when I was there, I found this whiskey growing in the grass. Look! And he held up the bottle of whiskey. The crowd cheered. Heaven was sounding fantastic. And, called a voice from the back, these angels, can, uh, can we have sex with them? Everyone looked at the sheep, who, after a pause, said, Bah! They then looked at Darren, who, after a pause, said, He says yes! You can have sex with the angels. And when I was there, there was loads of angels just laying about in the grass, just waiting for people to have sex with them. Some of the pub cheered. So, how do we get to this heaven? Someone asked. It's easy, said Darren. All I did was walk up, then I fell, and I woke up in heaven. We, we must walk up, then we must fall, then we will wake up in heaven. The pub shouted back at him. Let's go! they shouted, eager to escape their boring, miserable lives. Follow my father, Darren called out. He shall lead us to heaven. The sheep was plucked from the table and passed over the heads of the crowd before being put down outside the doorway, where it promptly began trotting off up the hill to his green pastures. Darren followed close behind. He'd taken two bits of wood and tied them together in the shape of a cross so that the people could easily see which way to go. As the crowd marched through the streets, people looked out their windows. Come on, the crowd called to them. We're going to heaven. Come with us. And without a second thought, the townsfolk came streaming out of their houses to join the mob. And soon, all the residents of Clifton, which is apparently a lovely place in summer you should really visit, were heading up the hill. Darren's cross bobbed up and down as he led them, following his father. Everyone repeated the mantra. We must walk up, then we must fall, and we shall wake up in heaven. Up they went, higher and higher until they reached the old stone church, which sat overlooking the cliff. The vicar, seeing a horde of people walking through his graveyard, came outside. What's going on? he asked. We're going to heaven, vicar. You must come too, Darren said. Heaven? Heaven? What? How? We must walk up. We must walk then up. we must fall. Then we must fall. And we shall wake up in heaven. Then we will wake, wake up, up in heaven. heaven. The townsfolk chanted. The vicar looked to see where they were headed and realised they intended to throw themselves from the cliff. No, he cried. No, no, stop this madness. There are children with you. He stood in Darren's way. I can't let you do this, he pleaded, tears in his eyes. 
but Darren simply brought the cross down with all his might, smashing into the vicar's skull with an almighty crack. The townsfolk cheered as they stepped over his body. No one could stop them from getting to heaven, not even the vicar. They came to stand on the edge of the cliff, overlooking the grey sea, and took each other by the hand, calling out excitedly about heaven. I can't wait to sunbathe. Oh, think of all that whiskey. I'm going to have sex with loads of angels. Yeah! And with a final call of their mantra, We must walk up, then we must fall, and we shall wake up in heaven. Darren and the people of Clifton, which is a lovely place apparently in summer you should really visit, took a deep breath and stepped off the edge of the cliff. As they plunged towards the jagged rocks below, some of them had doubts. And there is no worse feeling than regretting a decision when you've jumped off a cliff. There was an almighty squelching crack of splintering bones and splattered brains. The lucky ones died on impact. The unlucky ones had to lay there, with all their bits and broken bodies, unable to move as they felt the tide slowly creeping in to drag them into the ocean. Is it heaven, Daddy? A small boy asked his father, who lay crumbled on the rocks next to him, feeling very stupid indeed. You said we were going to heaven, Daddy, and that everything would be perfect. Everything hurts, Daddy. Everything hurts, Daddy. Darren lay on his shattered back, arms outstretched as the sea began to surround him. The sound of lapping waves, dying groans and cries of, Fuck you, Darren, and I hate you, Darren, being the last things he would hear. It wasn't like this last time. What happened? They were supposed to be in heaven. He looked up to the cliff top and saw his father peering over the edge, chewing some grass. Father! He called upwards. Why have you forsaken me? And the sheep looked down on him and said, There is a moral to this story. Prince Harry says as the bouncers begin to drag him out of the toilets. What is it? You call after the prince. What's the moral? Prince Harry stops trying to bite a bouncer's neck for a second. He turns, grinning wolfishly as he looks at you through bloodshot eyes. All sheep are fucking liars, he calls, before he disappears into the crowd, dragged away by security. And you know what? Maybe he's right. Maybe he's right. Wah! There we go. You heard it yourself. Sheep are liars. Don't trust them. That is, of course, if you trust the manic ravings of a pilled-up prince in the wonky dungeon of your mind as told you by the voice inside your head. It's up to you. Find out for yourself. Go and talk to sheep, lots of sheep, and see what they have to say for themselves. The best thing would be to get hold of a lie detector and hook one of them up to it. The data will speak for itself. If they ask why, then simply say that the voice inside your head told you to. And if, and it's a big if, they press you on the matter any further, then you should take off all your clothes, start rubbing yourself in whatever's laying about nearby. You'll be on a sheep farm, so there'll be a lot of shit. So rub yourself in all of that and start howling at them. They should leave you alone then. So there we are. Go forth and talk to sheep. It'll give you something to do. 
In the meantime, if you have enjoyed this, then please feel free to put some coins in my purse. Simply follow the link in the episode description or check me out on www.pianoteeth.co.uk. If you're that way inclined, why not share me with some of your friends? You don't want to be the only one talking to sheep, do you? And please, leave a review. A good one. My name is, as ever, Piano Teeth. Until next time, be well.